Hi, this is Brian Bolio from ITR Economics. Thank you for your follow-up questions following our AHTD um, keynote. Um, we got four of them in, um, so let's tackle them. Tim, you asked if the demographics on age of the population are so important, why has Japan's economy remained so strong? Um, really hasn't remained all that strong. Uh, I checked the numbers before uh, this trends talk. The average per annum rate of growth for GDP in nominal dollars, uh, Tim, for Japan has been 1.1% for the last 10 years and 0.9% for the last 20 years. Uh, if those were US numbers, uh, it would be considered egregiously below potential and something was uh, very wrong. So it hasn't been uh, a strong economy. What has been their saving grace though in terms of their currency being considered uh, strong or a safe haven is their very high savings rate, um, the high tax rate, uh, but their, their budget situation is uh, not good, not healthy, and I wouldn't expect that they are going to be experiencing any strong domestic growth uh, for quite some time. Bill, you asked, uh, China's national debt seems to be difficult to pin down. What metrics are you using to determine that it's much higher than ours? Um, they are hard to pin down, uh, Bill, you're absolutely right. We're using Bloomberg's data, and they're the ones that came out with, uh, they're estimating that their uh, debt's running between three and 400% of uh, GDP uh, versus our government debt uh, total, not just owned by the public, but total coming in more like uh, 130, 137%. So that's where we're drawing it from, but it's a very opaque economy, as you point out. Um, and we're struggling to find out what, not only, uh, you know, there's a concept called generational accounting, right? So one of my research projects is to see if I can peer behind their data curtain and find out what the general generational accounting differences are between the U.S. and China. Dave, you asked if I had any additional comments on lumber prices, and the answer to that uh, short is no. Uh, no additional comments there. I did some more checking on updated data uh, right before this trend start recording and nothing new has come in that would alter my comments. And if you asked if I had an opinion on um, lobbyists' ability to convince Congress to make changes that might bring down the price of lumber and other commodity prices. I don't follow the lobbyists. Uh, it's probably a weakness uh, of mine. We get missives from uh, Jade West, she's our favorite lobbyist, uh, but she's more centered on the manufacturing space than on the commodity prices. So I'm afraid I'm a dry hole for you, Dave. Uh, John, you asked, um, do you track the increasing cost of natural disasters associated with climate change and the opportunity cost of not addressing them? At what point does the cost of reacting to these changes outweigh the cost of addressing them? You know, that's a, uh, that's a whole study unto itself. And do we try and determine the uh, costs of the natural disasters that are directly related to climate change? That alone is going to be a very fuzzy number. I mean, you have obviously the environmental movement that will have one very clear number. We could take a baseline uh, and see what the natural disaster toll has been over the years. We have done that, but then you have to adjust it for climate cycles because there are climate cycles. You can't just take the last 10 years to compare it to the prior 10 years. Um, that would 
totally obviate solar cycles, et cetera. So it's a very complex um, area to go, John, and uh, we have not gone there as yet. At what point does um, the cost of reacting to these changes outweigh the cost of addressing them? Um, again, I, I, I'm afraid I'm a bust on you on, in that regard. We're much more focused on uh, what a carbon tax would do to individual businesses and um, what the environmental movement under this administration means for businesses and industries rather than that larger term environmental picture. And finally, uh, Jared, you asked, it's about labor participation and unemployment numbers. Where do they come from and how accurate are they really? So the, the unemployment numbers come from two surveys. One, uh, the Bureau of Labor Statistics will survey businesses and those are accurate. And then they'll survey households. And uh, as you point out, because you go on to talk about uh, fraudulent unemployment claims, uh, those can be a lot more fuzzy, uh, how people are answering that, obviously. And you're quite right in the LA uh, Times report, but very much uh, fraudulent, fraudulent numbers exacerbating the unemployment. And that could be why it came down so fast relative to our forecast, you're quite right. We tend to key more on the uh, employment numbers than the unemployment. I use the unemployment in the talk because that's what most people relate to. But we're really concerned about how many jobs are coming back. And that has been more online um, with what we thought was going to. So I think that proves your point, actually. And I didn't connect those two dots before I read your question. So thank you very much for that. And you asked about labor participation. That's a that seems to be a fairly reliable number also. It has to do with, most people think just structural unemployment, uh, people who are working age want to work and can't find the job, but it also includes people who are working age, therefore 65 or under, who voluntarily opt out of the uh, labor pool. Um, they've retired or they've taken early retirement, but and they just don't want to work anymore um, for, you know, pleasant retirement reasons. They've sold their businesses, et cetera. The uh, labor participation rate has been going down for quite some time. And one of the research studies I have on my docket is to see how that's related to tax laws and how it's related to social security benefits and see if there's any causal relationship there. So far, I haven't found any, but uh, it's an interesting line of thinking. And I, what I'm really trying to figure out is what does it do to wage pressures if the labor participation rate goes down, which means the, the, the absolute pool of people who are talented that we really want to hire is uh, shrinking through time. I gotta think that's gonna mean even more wage pressures in the future. Uh, and we certainly have seen enough of that over the last 30 years to know um, that logically there's a relationship there. I'm just gonna try and find that equation. Thank you all for listening to our AHTD webinar and for these follow-up questions. And uh, I'm feeling like I had to have disappointed each and every one of you in terms of not giving you the answers that you wanted or were hoping for, um, but it is the best that we can do. So thank you and I look forward to seeing you down the road.